glad to see you, Blue. And aren't, aren't you happy we had that picnic in Zion today? Oh my, that would have been difficult. Been pretty much impossible, really. So that's okay. Well, tonight, I'm going to start with a, a few thoughts from Galatians 4. Uh, Paul is explaining in this book a lot about the difference between being a Christian and just being out in the world. And in chapter 4, without going into a lot of detail here, he uses a, a comparison or an allegory uh, between Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Hagar, and makes the point that Sarah was the free woman. She was given a child by promise. Uh, God had looked at Abraham and Sarah and decided he wanted to work through them, so he made them a very important promise that she would have a son, and indeed it did occur. But Hagar was Sarah's servant, her maid, and her son was born of that slavery, basically, that was there. Now, people have not liked slavery throughout history in whatever forms it may have taken. Uh, we are still suffering a lot of consequences of slavery in this nation. What it did to people's emotions, their feelings, their backgrounds, uh, their attitudes, everything about them is influenced to one degree or another by the slavery that occurred in this country. And it affects people on every side of every race to one degree or another. So Hagar had a lot of problems as a result of a promise having been made to Sarah that God fulfilled. And what she thought should have been hers in Ishmael desiring the uh, birthright, thinking it should have been his. Now, you still have, this many hundreds, thousands of years later, a great deal of animosity between some Arab countries and America and other Israelite nations. That hasn't gone away. It is still there. There are still terrorist threats. There are still all kinds of threats going on. And those are going to open up into open warfare again very shortly. So Paul is pointing out that freedom is very, very important, and a life under any kind of bondage is difficult. So we would always want liberty, and that was put into uh, our documents at the beginning of this nation that we might have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those are quickly being eroded by the people governing our nation today, and we are becoming slaves again to the system very, very quickly. 
And it is not comfortable. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with it. So he uses this to explain to people in the church that they should be seeking liberty. And down in chapter 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, Protestants take this and run off in some very dark corners with it, uh, saying that freedom means we don't have to keep the law, and that keeping the law was a yoke of bondage. Now, let's see if that fits the context and see what Paul's really talking about here, because it does impact you and me. Well, when people say, I'm free, what does that mean to them? Generally, as a human being, they want freedom to do whatever it is that they want to do, whatever that might be. When people get divorced, you often hear them say, I'm free, I can go do whatever I want. Is that really freedom? Does it lead to happiness and joy and peace when you go out and do what it is you want? But that's the way people look at it. I knew of a man who got a vasectomy. Some was I knew him back in the 70s, early 80s, I guess. And he called it his license to play. Freedom, if you will. His wife had a decidedly different attitude about that. And I'm sure the attitude he had and the attitude she had probably led to some conflict and some difficulty down the road. In fact, I know it did, knowing the couple. They weren't in the church, but just just that came to mind is how people look sometimes at freedom. And they do it then not only on that kind of a just physical level, but they do it when it comes to religion as well, which is why the Protestants read Galatians and other places, but Galatians is one of the primary ones, to show that we have freedom from the law. We don't have to keep that old nasty law. Elsewhere, Paul calls it holy and just and good. Uh, so what does all this mean? And are they taking some license there and an approach that is contrary to what Paul believes and what God believes. Uh, verse 3, he's talking about circumcision here. He says, To every man that is circumcised, and he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So grace is very important, and we don't want to fall from the grace of God. But he says, if you're trying to get into the kingdom through just keeping the law and trying to be justified by that, that'll never work. Because the law included things such as circumcision and various other things that have not been carried over into the New Testament except in principle. Circumcision of the heart again, as I said the other day. 
For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The righteousness is living in a righteous or holy manner. And that's what we are looking to and waiting for and hoping for. And people daily fall short of true righteousness. And also then, what does that do? To one degree or another, it diminishes your hope. Now, if you're living strictly by the law as the Pharisees did, and you broke that law, what did that do to your attitude and to your hope of the kingdom because you had no way to expunge that law? I mean, that, that's it. No way to get rid of it because the blood of bulls and goats did not remove sin. So that sin piled up. And you know what guilt does over time? It builds up and gets very heavy. If there's something you think, something you do, that you don't deal with, and you go through it month after month, maybe year after year, because it's one of your favorite sins, let's say, whatever that might be, it begins to build a load of guilt when you read God's Word. Because it says the opposite of that. And here you're doing what the book says don't do. So that does not encourage you to read the Bible, does it? It might cause you to kind of hold back from it because you don't want to remember your guilt that you're carrying. Now, what does a heavy load on your shoulders do? If you carried a hundred pound sack on your back, it's uncomfortable. It begins to hurt. You begin to want to put that weight down to get rid of it because it's just there. Now, we can build up a weight of conscience. So we're dragging this trailer load of sin around behind us. And it's always wagging along behind us. And it's hard to get rid of. I've talked to people over the years who lived some pretty wild lives when they were young and gotten into all kinds of trouble. And they are damaged. They're just damaged. Whether drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, business thievery, you, you name it, whatever kind of thing it was, it has left a heavy burden on them. Uh, that they have difficulty dealing with. That's not freedom. That's not liberty. You can't ever get free of that burden that you're carrying. I've talked at times to a few ex-prostitutes over the years. I ran into a few down in Miami because they're all over the place. I mean, just coming into the church or trying to. And the burden of guilt of what that kind of life had done to them made it almost impossible to get past it. It had just done so much emotional 
and physical damage that had become a heavy burden. Now, had any one of those ladies or men, whatever their sin was, I just happened to think of that one because that kind of thing causes so much grief and misery and destruction, would they not have been so happy if they could have just walked away from it and never had that be on their mind again? It's hard for a human being to forget something that has been that emotionally challenging and damaging and destructive. Uh, you have trouble getting past the very guilt of it once you realize that you need to. And we all have, to one degree or another, difficulty moving past our sins and feeling ah, absolute liberty from our past. Because we remember it. We're not always happy to tell everybody about it either because there, most people have something or another back there that's somewhat shameful to them or that they would not like to admit that they had thought or done. So everybody grapples with that on one level or another. Some far more than others depending on the damage that's been done. Paul wants us to have liberty in Christ whereby our burdens are removed. He's not talking about removing the law. He's talking about removing the penalties of having, breaking, or having broken the law. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. A goodly hope. A hope of what? Eternal life, security, uh, happiness, joy, peace, good relationships, because as human beings we've experienced all kinds of relationships, good, bad, and indifferent, and probably more bad than good overall. And we want freedom from that, and we're hoping for a better way, aren't we? Well, if the better way is going to be in the kingdom of God, then shouldn't being in the church as an aspirant of the kingdom of God, also create liberty. Because we'll have the liberty of freedom from pain, freedom from death, freedom from crying, tells us there in Revelation. That's a lot of freedom, isn't it? To be free from those things? Well, I think it only follows that if that's what God promises us, living His way now should be producing results along those lines. Not as perfectly yet, but we should be gaining in that direction. Leading happier, more fulfilled lives than we had beforehand. If not, something's askew. It should be getting better, not worse. Now, trials, troubles, afflictions, difficulties have their place and they have a toll. 
But Paul addressed that in another place where he says we may be beaten about but not discouraged. And he went on with a whole list of things like that. But yeah, we'll go through a lot, but it won't beat us down because we have a hope for the kind of life that really all humans would like to have. They just don't like the way you have to go about achieving it. It's the method that bothers them. You know, talk to anybody. Would you like to live in peace? You bet. Would you like to have everybody you know love you and you love them? Oh, yeah. Would you like to have uh, wealth? Oh, yeah. Love to have that. Well, you can have it. Here's all you have to do. You just have to look in the Bible and obey all of God's words and follow every one of his commandments, and you'll have those things. Out they go. They like the result. They don't like the method. We have a whole generation of kids being raised right now, second or third in a row as it goes, really, but parents who... Don't believe in chastening their children. They see an obedient child, one that doesn't scream in the supermarket, and they like that. Well, that child is so sweet. Isn't that child sweet? Look at that child. He's not screaming and kicking his parents' shins. Well, how did he get that way? Well, we took privileges away. We took various means of punishing and that child had to suffer pain and solitude and all kinds of things because of the way it was acting. And it decided it might as well straighten up because it was going to be in trouble all the time if it didn't. And then they will reject the methods that you use to produce that peaceful child. Because it's inhumane, or it's not. It'll hurt the little child's ego, or all the excuses they have. So they put up with screaming, kicking children, or rebellious, in whatever form it shows. Now, you and I are supposed to be having our minds changed and converted to acceptance of God's way that leads to liberty, joy, peace, comfort. And it is a pretty tight rope you have to follow to achieve that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything or uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Loving God, loving each other, gives us hope, and it gives us faith in God to give us more in the future. He goes on down in verse 9, kind of a little bit of a reference here to unleavened bread. A little leaven leavens the whole lot. It doesn't take a whole lot of sin for it to become something that dominates you. Dominates your emotions, your feelings, your relationships. Doesn't take too much. 
So he says he had confidence in them. There were some there that troubled them. And he's trying to show them that they don't need to be troubled. There is a way to avoid that. Verse 13, For brethren, you have been called to liberty. Now, a Protestant's not going to say the liberty of keeping the law. To him, liberty is doing away with the law, so you don't have to keep it. Just the opposite with God. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, using it to the occasion of the flesh is the examples I gave you earlier. This is my license to play. Or I'm divorced, now I'm free. At liberty to whatever I want. No. That's not the kind of liberty he's talking about. Not to give the flesh what it wants. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the Ten Commandments are boiled down to loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God above all. Those two things. So, it is keeping the law that keeps us from having bad relationships. You know, when a couple gets married... And they bow to each other. I'll never be with anyone but you. And as long as they keep that, they can have a pretty fair chance at a decent relationship in the marriage. But how many times does it take to break just that one vow to either destroy or almost destroy that marriage? And if it goes on and on, how long is it going to last? Because people think they're getting away with something. Hey, I'm doing this on the side, and this is fun. You know, sin is fun. It truly is fun. Paul even talked about the temporary pleasures of sin. So, going out and sinning in whatever fashion you enjoy the most, is fun for you for a little while until your associates or your mate or your children or someone finds out and then the fun and games is over. Then you have a burden. Then you have a guilt. Then you have a fight. Then you have a divorce. And life is in turmoil and not much fun anymore. You thought you were having fun, but the results, the consequences, aren't much fun. What we should do in fulfilling the law is live together in love. Keeping the law creates that kind of relationships. Don't steal from each other. Don't lie to each other. Don't fornicate and adulterate and do all these things. That leads to better relationships. Might not be as much fun, but when the fun is over, the penalties start. So he says, you'll keep the law. You'll live together in love. 
But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In other words, we can destroy each other by biting, devouring, gossiping. Biting, by that could mean backbiting, talking behind people's back, imagining evil about them, expressing how you feel about them and how evil they are. That's biting, and then people can be devoured by that. They can be discouraged to the point of giving up or living a life of misery because they feel everybody is down on them. That's not a fun, not a fun position to be in. But if everybody was laying off of each other, then they can get along in happiness and joy and peace because they're not doing the things that destroy relationships. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're walking according to the Spirit of God, you won't be fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. They're there, they crop up, they show, you have to deal with them, but don't give in to them. Don't allow it to take you over. Walk in the things of the Spirit instead. Now, the lust of the flesh, or covetousness, Colossians says, is the same as idolatry. Because when your flesh wants to do things that are against God's way or His law, then you're putting your desires and your fleshly wants ahead of God. That's idolatry. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. So we have this thing going on in our hearts and minds. We are flesh. We are human. We have been conceived of the Spirit of God and are trying to walk after the Spirit, but our flesh limits us. Now, Paul expressed that about himself when he said, the things I want to do I don't do, and the things I don't want to do I do. Because he knows that he should be doing this, and yet his human nature... His lust, his vanity, his pride, whatever, would get in the way, and he would wind up thinking or doing something that he had best not do. Every human being fights this. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would or should. Because you have this battle going on to fulfill the desires of your flesh in ways that are not good. But if you let, be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now here again, the Protestants pork this clear out of shape. It should read the penalty of the law. If you walk in the Spirit, you're not under the penalty of the law. Why? Because you're not breaking it. And because Christ's blood covers the mistakes you do made, and they're not on you anymore, they're on Him. And they're expunged. So if you're walking in the Spirit, you're overcoming sin, and you're not living under penalty 
and consequences in the same way. So then he gives us an idea of what the works of the flesh are. If we misunderstand in any way, here are the things that the flesh lead you to do. It isn't maybe a totally complete list, but it covers an awful lot of pretty important stuff. You be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, well those are part of the Ten Commandments, right? That's what Paul calls the works of the flesh. So I don't think he must think that the law is bad, because he says breaking that is not of the Spirit, it's of the flesh. So the law is very much in effect. Those being uh, some sex sins that are listed right here at the very beginning. Those cause problems. They break relationships. They break marriages. They affect children. People in this nation, especially way maybe back in the 60s with the hippie movement, say, well, it's not hurting anybody. I'm just enjoying life and not hurting anybody. Well, did the diseases they passed each other hurt anybody? Did the children that were engendered out of wedlock and only had one parent hurt anybody? Yeah, they did. They thought they were having free love. There is no such thing as free love. Now, free lust and free sin can be fun, but it has a price that has to be paid on somebody's emotions and feelings and lives. Can't get out of it. Now, love within relationships and marriages is not free either. How hard do we have to work at relationships? Even if we understand how they ought to be operated, how much difficulty do we have living up to the standards that God gives us that would produce peace and happiness and joy? See, that, that isn't free either. There's a price that has to be paid for the liberty and freedom of a good relationship. It takes work to get it there and keep it there. And you can't be selfish in the relationship or it won't be there. As people put themselves first instead of their mate first, loving them as much as themselves, then selfishness creates agitation, frustration within the relationship. This just always does. Well, I want it. You know? I don't care what you want, I want it. <laughs> You can hear that in pretty much any house in America at one time or another. And it isn't pleasant. So, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, that can be any kind of unclean activity, uh, anything that is outside the law of God. Uh, Lust, vanity, greed, jealousy, uh, all kinds of destructive emotions 
could come under that. But don't produce peace. If something produces a relationship that is troubled, then there's something wrong with that thinking and that emotion that causes the negative result. So then we have to examine, my husband is not happy. My wife is not happy today. Why is my mate not happy? Is it the way I've been treating him or her? Is it my attitude? Is it my putting myself first and giving her orders what she's got to do to please me so that you're the big frog in the little pond, as a lot of men are? The high potentate, because God said that they are to be the leader of the family, doesn't mean that they're to do it with a tuba for. You lead by example. Your wife will follow you a whole lot easier and with less hassle if you treat her with love and respect and gentleness and do the things that she likes to have done and bring her flowers and just a whole plethora of things that produce enjoyment and happiness and peace and love. And the same toward a wife toward her husband. She knows what he likes. Uh, she can produce those things or she can be lazy. She can resist him. And it's easy for us as human beings to resist each other because we have our own agenda. And I don't think there's a married couple that's ever existed that didn't each of them have a certain amount of different agenda. With some... It is a terrible difference that doesn't last long. With some, it's a little easier. We get along pretty good. But it could be better if we would just go a little bit extra when maybe it isn't exactly what I wanted. It isn't exactly what I wanted to do. But this made the kids happy. This made the wife happy. So I'll bend over a little backward to make sure they are happy. And when you make sure somebody else is happy, you get happier. But if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So make mama happy. <laughs> and mama make happy happy. And then everybody's happy happy. Uncleanness, lawlessness. The work of the flesh is lawlessness. And here, Protestants use this context to try to say there's no law. And yet, clearly, one of the works of the flesh is lawlessness. That means lawfulness is the good way and lawlessness is the bad way. Idolatry. Most of us don't have little leering idols in our kitchen or our bathroom that we bow down before. Uh, we, we're more sophisticated than that. But we have other idols. Whatever it is, anything that we put ahead of God, 
is an idol. I know I need to pray. I know I need to spend time with God. So I spend time fooling around on the internet instead. Well, the computer or fooling around on the internet becomes an idol. Uh, we might like music. Well, music's wonderful. Well, some music is. Some music produces peace and happiness and joy, and some produces bad nerves. But music is a wonderful thing. God speaks of it all the way through and how he loves to hear good music and he has music about his throne. And it's wonderful. But if you're so much into music, good or bad, but you put it ahead of God in your relationship with him, then the music itself becomes your idol. Is it wrong to earn money at a job? No. But if wealth becomes your goal and your purpose, and you work 16, 18 hours a day to get wealthy, you don't have time for God, so wealth has become an idol. You're putting uh, wealth ahead of God. Uh, witchcraft. Anything to do with Satan and his demons is where the flesh will tend to go. Now, Satan is the most lawless being in the universe. He hates the law of God. And he's gotten huge groups of Israelites who call themselves Christians to do away with law because he hates law. And he loves the misery that Breaking the law creates in people's lives. He hates people. He does not want them to be in the kingdom of God. He wants them all destroyed, every last one. So anything that we think or do that has to do with Satan's system is dabbling in witchcraft. Think about that one. Because you think, well, I'm not a witch, or I don't think about witchcraft, or I don't go to seances, I don't do this. But anything to do with Satan that is opposite from God is a form of witchcraft, Satanism. And the flesh loves those things. Satan will put all kinds of temptations in front of you to help you sin if he can at all get you to do it. Hatred. Some people are almost consumed by hatred. It becomes such a heavy burden on them. They hate so-and-so, or they hate people, or they hate men, or they hate women. So it can be an individual, or it can be a part of society. Hatred can take many, many different forms, but who does it hurt? The one doing the hating. It puts a burden on them. It destroys their feelings of happiness and joy and peace and security because they're just on this glowering attitude all the time. It destroys them. The person being hated may not be around it, may be around it some, and it may bother him some. It can hurt both sides. 
But the one that it hurts the most is the one doing the hating. Because it destroys their whole attitude and approach to a happy life. Variance, uh, that means to make a part or to cut asunder or to set against or alienate. Anything we do that causes people to be alienated from each other as opposed to drawing them together in love is a work of the flesh. Did not Christ tell us that he wants us to become one as he and the Father are one? There's no shadow of turning between them. They are perfectly in chorus with each other. They don't argue. They don't fight. They don't disagree. They are in perfect oneness. It's beyond my comprehension, but they are. They said so. And they want us to become one as they are. It's what we read on Passover night. So our goal here is for each and every one of us to get to know each other better, to love one another more, and not say anything about each other that would cause us to be at variance in any way that doesn't push us apart. I don't know any human being that has that under control, not completely anyway, because it's so easy to say things that are hurtful. Somebody's not there, it's easy to say something about them that they probably wouldn't want to be said, but since they're not there to hear it, you say it anyway. No. No, if anything would cause a rift, an uncomfortable feeling, pushing apart is a work of the flesh. A work of the Spirit is bonding and uniting and getting people closer. Mates say things to each other that push them apart. Things they go out of the room and say, oh, I guess I shouldn't have said that. Well, you shouldn't have. <laughs> but you did. And then it pushes the relationship apart. And then you got to fix it. So there's a penalty for saying something that creates disunity or disharmony. And you have to pay the penalty by fixing it, whatever it is. So pushing apart is the thing that the flesh does the thing that Satan does. Emulations. That means envy, malice toward, or indignation against. In the Greek. So, there again, it's negative emotions. Uh, envy is no fun. When people envy someone else, well, what do they envy? Their brains, their looks, their Money, their car, their house, their wife, their husband, their uh, smile on their face. Whatever it is that they have that appeals to someone, they envy that other person. Now, we can appreciate what someone else is or has and be thankful that they're that way, 
But don't get the negative idea that I don't like them because they, they're better than I am. <laughs> or they have more than I do. And envy hurts you. Because it frets, it frets you. It frustrates you. A lot of people do that simply with money. Somebody's got a better job. Somebody gets a raise. You don't get one. So there's frustration and envy there. Instead of, man, I'm glad you got a raise. You must be doing well and really feeling it. You know, I'm really happy to see that person succeed. Instead of saying, I deserve a raise. I do get one. There's envy. Is that a healthy emotion for you to have? No. Who's it hurt? You. It doesn't make for better relationships. Uh, wrath. People get angry and stay angry. Wrathful is not fun. God's wrath comes up at times. But he is very slow to wrath. You have to really push God to make him angry. And he is also very quick to repent of wrath. There is a scripture that says, Be you angry and sin not. There is a time to have righteous indignation, but most of our indignation is not righteous. It's selfish, for whatever reason. And that does not lead to good. It is sin and the wrecking of relationships, God to man and man to man, that engender God's wrath. When Israel went a-whoring after other nations, that brought God's wrath up. When God's people repent, his wrath goes away. That's why as Laodiceans, we need to be sure we're repenting and getting rid of those attitudes that created what we became, and then his anger will dissipate. And I don't like God angry. I like him happy, and I need to do everything I can to please God. So he is happy, and his wrath doesn't come down on us. Strife. Well, strife is just bad relationships between people. They're always striving with each other, trying to put each other down. Uh, seditions. That's disunity or division is what sedition is. It's a political term sometimes. Uh, people start doing things that cause division in the government or in the society. Uh, heresies, untruths. Uh, there are a lot of bad doctrines in uh, religion. And one of the worst is that the law is done away with and you don't have to keep the law. That is a heresy. And I think Paul is making that very clear here. So then he says, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, or out-of-control partying that leads to sin. Because when people get together and have too many drugs or too much alcohol or too much of this or too much of that, often negative emotions start coming. Sin is easy to come, is at the door when you're out of control. So, alcohol is a wonderful thing used properly. 
used in excess, it can create all kinds of problems and sins and difficulties. And sometimes when people want to sin, the easiest way for them to get there is to get good and drunk because they lose their inhibitions and then they can do what they wanted to do because their conscience doesn't bother them as much. So, we have to be careful with these things. Use them correctly. And such like. <laughs> so he didn't cover everything that creates problems between people. <coughs> but anything that does that would be included as works of the flesh. Uh, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now what he just gave us was a rundown of things that are against the law, right? And he says if you do these things, you're breaking the law, and you will not be in the kingdom of God. How many Protestants have ever read this to you and told you that? They pick through here and find a verse or two or three out of context that they like, but they won't tell you what we just read. Now, we are here during these days to do all we can to put sin out of our lives, and I thought it would be good to go through this context a little and give us an insight into what it is that creates problems. What is liberty? In God's view, liberty is the absence of guilt. It is the absence of sin being carried on your back. It is the absence of all kinds of negative emotions that we just read about. You're free from those. How did you feel after Passover? You came you realized what Christ had done for you. You took the bread and the wine. And you afterward had a feeling of well-being. That his blood had covered your sins. And you didn't have to worry about them. So you felt cleansed. You felt free from pain. Free from guilt. Free from the weight of your past. Because Christ said, it's forgiven. Walk forward being free. Don't enslave yourself to that anymore. It is the breaking of the law that brings bondage. The bondage of severed relationships, damaged relationships, all kinds of problems emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, when you break God's law and you know you are, it creates problems in your head, problems with your mind. And it destroys your feeling of goodness and freedom and cleanness and enjoyment. And leads to tears and pain and sorrow and divorce and death and all those things of breaking God's law puts us under. That's the bondage of the law. The freedom of the law is keeping it so you're free from all that negativity. That's what he's telling us here. 
Go for freedom. The liberty that is in Christ, how is there liberty in Christ? His perfect life and his shed blood gives us freedom from the penalties of sin that we've been living under. That's why you and I, when we feel we have transgressed, go in and get on our knees and ask God to forgive us because we don't want to carry the weight of the infringed upon conscience and our happiness and joy. Because I want God happy and he wants us happy. And when we break the law, it makes us unhappy. It makes our mates unhappy. It makes our children unhappy. It just creates problems. So if you keep the law, you're free from that kind of problems in the first place. But when you do break it and you ask for forgiveness and his blood be shed for you, then you can feel good again until you screw up again. That's why he says that healing is the forgiveness of sin. Now, we may have done degenerate things. We may have had bad uh, diets. We may have done all kinds of things. And we have sicknesses and ailments and diseases and all kinds of problems. And God does not want us to have those. As Paul wrote, and that was God's attitude, I wish above all things you prosper and be in health. He wants us to feel good. Mentally, physically, and it's a good feeling when you're healthy. When you're not, it's not a good feeling. So you want to be healed of whatever it is that's causing you pain, suffering, and misery. So it's the same on the physical level with your body as it is on the spiritual level with your mind and emotions. You want to be free from those things that you have done that have created turmoil and frustration. So in one you repent and ask for his blood, the other you get anointed and ask that he heal you. Now, I've seen him heal many people. I've seen people die who were not in this life healed. I've seen it go a lot of different ways. The times that I have been healed of something personally that I knew had to have been God intervening. There are other times he let me suffer with things. I don't like to take it lightly. I've been fighting this eye thing now for some time. I don't know what's causing it. I, it's miserable. I'd like to be over it. I haven't been anointed for it yet because I figure if something is just temporary and I'm going to get over it, I don't need anointed. If I get a cold, I figure it's going to last three days whether I get anointed or not. It's just something that takes care of itself. Now, if it's something more serious that the body isn't going to be able to cope with because God made our bodies to a great degree to heal themselves. And if it's something you're going to get over, then why ask that Christ's body be broken and beaten uh, and by his stripes were healed? Now, if it's something serious, that I feel I need to take to him and ask for him to intervene because it doesn't appear it's going to take care of itself. I need his help. And sometimes he will heal. And sometimes he'll say, 
ah, you've got a little of this or a little of that. I think I'm going to let you suffer with that a while. Now, he did that with Paul, didn't he? Paul had an affliction in his eyes. Uh, maybe it affected the way he talked. I don't know. It affected his looks. And he besought Christ three times to heal him. And Christ said, no, three times. Now, that was the Apostle Paul. And he healed people and even caused them to be resurrected through Christ. So, there are times when God puts something on you, or allows it to come on you, that he doesn't take care of right away, that he may want you to learn from. So, instead of saying, well, you didn't heal me, I'm going to the doc, we say, what is it you need me to learn? What do I need to get out of this? How can I get closer to you as a result of my affliction? It's all a matter of approach. You can approach it with the fleshly way we just read about, or you can approach it with a more spiritual attitude and get further with God. Well, I'm going to stop there. We've uh, had nearly an hour. But I hope it gives us a little insight into what removes our freedom and our liberty and what restores it. Because people get confused about this. Oh, I'm free. I'm at liberty. I can do as I please. No law. No. Breaking that law is what brings misery, frustration, and penalties is what it brings. Repenting, keeping the law, brings freedom from all the negativity that we lay upon ourselves when we break it. So let's grow together in love and hope and faith to the unity of Christ. That's what we're here for.